This sermon was recorded at the Church of Christ, Northwest Arkansas. We are Christians seeking to worship God in spirit and in truth, according to the New Testament. Come worship with us Sunday mornings at 1030 at 1708 Elm Springs Road in Springdale, Arkansas. Let's begin first by introducing the subject right below the title on the, on the charts that I gave you is the scripture Hebrews 13 and 8 that I want to introduce the study with. And that scripture simply says Jesus Christ the same yesterday and today and forever. Oftentimes those who believe in miraculous gifts cite this scripture. And I suppose their reason for using this in favor of and in support of miraculous gifts today uh, is, is the fact that uh, their, their reasoning is, well, we had miraculous gifts yesterday, therefore we ought to have them today and, and perhaps forever because Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. But you see, friends, this passage here is not talking about miraculous gifts. It's talking about Jesus. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. His nature, His character never changes. Christ was holy yesterday. He's holy today. Be holy forever. You see, He has the same attributes continually, forever. But God has often changed His will, and God has had different covenants and arrangements with men through the years. During the age of the patriarchs, for 2,500 years between Adam and Moses, there was no written scripture, and God spoke directly to the fathers. And He guided them in that way. And He would say things directly, like to Noah, make thee an ark of gopher wood, to Abraham, get thee up out of thy father's house, and come to a land that I'll show you. And he would communicate directly. He doesn't do that in our day and age. At Mount Sinai, he began to give them written law. He set up a priesthood and a tabernacle system and a worship system for the Jews. And made covenants and promises to them that he never gave us Gentiles. And separated them off to be his peculiar people in that holy nation that he would favor. And he did so for 1,500 years that he might bring Jesus out of that nation to bless us all. And then when the Lord died on the cross, the New Testament came into effect and set aside the old. And now that's the law that governs the Christian today, not that we can't learn principles out of the old, but we are guided today by the New Testament and that new covenant that was prophesied by Jeremiah in chapter 31. That's what's in effect today. God has had different different covenants with man in different periods of time in dealing with us. So he changes his will at times, but his nature never changes. When we think about miraculous gifts today, and I talk about those, I want you to understand something. I'm talking about what man can do and not what God can do. God can do anything he wants to do. God has all the power he's ever had. If, if we didn't believe that, we need to quit praying. If we don't think God can answer prayer, then that's just not pray. But there's a difference in what God can do and what He has given man the ability to do, and that's what I want to talk to you about. We're not limiting God today. We're talking about whether or not He gives miraculous powers to men, not what He can do. See, there's a difference in that, a great difference. So don't think that if we believe miraculous gifts have ceased, 
that some way we're limiting God's power. We are not. We are simply acknowledging what God Himself has revealed about how He will use His power. That's all. Now, let's talk about God and miracles just a minute because there's some misunderstanding about God and miracles. God seems to begin things with miraculous means and perpetuate those things by divine laws and principles. We see it at creation. Read with me there on the inside, Genesis chapter 1 and verse 11. <clears throat> now, if you want to tear those sheets apart, and they're easier gotten to, or you, you strip the staple apart if you want to. I stapled them for you where you'd have them together. In Genesis 1.11, God said, let the earth bring forth grass, the herb yielding seed, and the fruit tree yielding fruit after his kind, whose seed is in itself upon the earth, and it was so. So you see, when God got ready to make vegetation and trees and such things, at one time, he just spoke those into existence. That's the mighty power of God. He can do that. And it isn't that God can't do that today. He can but the question is, has He willed to create things like this? Is God going to give us trees and grass and vegetation by speaking them into existence every time? No. He placed a seed within them, see, where they reproduce. <coughs> when we want a certain grass, we just plant the seed or a tree. And we'll get that, that, that thing that God gave us. Let the earth bring forth grass, the herb yielding seed, and the fruit tree yielding seed after its kind, or fruit after its kind, whose seed is in itself upon the earth. And it was so. When God created man initially, He made him of the dust. In Genesis 2 and verse 7, the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. Can God create a man out of dust today? Absolutely. See, he's got the same power he's always had. Does he do that? No. Because he's placed within man the ability to reproduce after his kind. And he's told us to be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. And he determined that he would make human beings in that fashion. When he made a woman for the man, he saw that man was lonely, Genesis 2.18, that it was not good that man should be alone. And so we read in Genesis 2.21 that the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam, and he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh instead thereof. And the rib which the Lord God had taken from man made he a woman and brought her unto the man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. So then God creates the woman out of the rib of a man. Can God do that today? Yeah, He'd make a woman that way anytime He wants. Does he do it that way? No. No, he's placed within man and woman, as we know, the ability to reproduce and has determined human beings will come along in this fashion from now on. They will multiply because of the seed that I've put within them, the ability to do this. 
We're not limiting God's power. If anything, God has limited how He uses that power. He does not intend to create out of dust or out of a bone a male or a female every time one comes into this world. He's chosen another way to do it, that's all. So we don't slight God at all. We don't blaspheme the name of God at all. We don't limit God at all when we declare that He does not make human beings in the same way that He once did. He began with the miraculous. He perpetuates it with divine law. God doesn't flash about His power for the fun of it. He has a purpose in miracles. He always has. And Jesus had a purpose for doing so many miracles that He worked. You see, when the Lord came to this earth and was born there in that in that very modest situation there in Bethlehem to a virgin and laid in a manger as soon as he was born. It was necessary later when he would grow into a man that he demonstrate that he's more than a man, that he is the Word that's come down and been, been made flesh and dwelt among us. It's the Son of God. And he had to have evidence and be able to prove that he is the Son of God, that He is the Messiah, and that He spoke the words of God. And He did that by the means of working miracles. That was the purpose. And when you look at the miracles of Jesus, they're designed to produce faith. Yes, they did good to the recipients of them. They did. They healed cripples. They, they cast devils out of those that were possessed. They healed diseases and cleansed lepers, of, of course. They did a lot of good for humanity. The Bible says He went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with Him, Acts 10. But more than that, the purpose ultimately was to declare who He is and establish who He is and that He had God's Word. In John chapter 2, Jesus attends a wedding in Cana of Galilee. And they eventually run out of wine for the guest. There are six stone water pots sitting there. Jesus commands them when they bring this to His attention, fill these pots with water. And they filled them up to the brim. Then He told them, draw out the water. And when they drew it out and took it to the governor of the feast, it was wine. And when He tasted that, He told the groom, usually a person serves the worst wine Last, he serves his good wine first, and when people have well drunken, he'll serve the worst that he's got. You've saved the best for last. The Lord's wine was better. What he created by miracle. The Bible says in John 2.11, if you're reading there, this beginning of miracles did Jesus in Cana of Galilee and manifested forth his glory, and his disciples believed on him. The purpose of the miracle was to produce faith. In John 3, verse 1 and 2, <clears throat> the Bible says there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. Nicodemus understood God was in this man or he couldn't have done the great signs that he did. In John chapter 20, when John had written and recorded several of these signs for us, 
He tells us the reason why He recorded the miracles. And when you read John, you read many miracles. You read the turning of the water to wine in chapter 2. And I won't name them all, but in chapter 6, food is multiplied and thousands are fed. In chapter 9, He opens the eyes of a man born blind. In chapter 11, He raises Lazarus from the dead. These are just a few of the signs that John recorded. And in John 20, <coughs> verse 30 and 31, He writes, Many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of His disciples, which are not written in this book. And He means the Gospel of John. But these are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you might have life through His name. They are written that we might believe. And when we open the New Testament and we, we begin to read about what all Jesus did, I don't think we would believe in Him without His miracles. But we're reading of a man here that walked on the surface of the Sea of Galilee. We're reading of a man that could say to the winds and the waves in the midst of a great storm, Peace! Be still, and this sea would become like glass, and the wind just calmed down immediately. Even the winds and waves obeyed him. We're reading of a man on three occasions in here that raised someone from the dead, who did all kinds of, of mighty, mighty miracles. And John said they're written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ. And I don't think we would believe without them. They establish who He is and that He had the words of God, don't they? And we believe in Him because of them. They're part of the evidence of who He is. Designed by God for that very purpose. Yes, they did good for humanity. But more than that, they did good for every one of us who didn't even live back then to see them or experience them, and yet we read about them, and they produce faith, the faith that saves us, the faith in Jesus Christ. That's the purpose. And then the apostles also wrought many great, great miracles. Why? Why did they need this power? We understand God used it at creation and other places. We understand Jesus did it. How about the apostles? Why? In John 14 and 26, Jesus had taught them many things. And the things that He had taught them, they needed to tell us. How were they going to remember that? Do you realize how many sermons they heard Jesus give? They heard Christ preach in the temple, in synagogues, from the bowels of a ship, on a mountainside, in houses, as they walked along the dusty roads of Palestine together. Sermon after sermon, lesson after lesson, they heard Jesus teach. How were they to remember everything they heard? How many of you remember the lesson you heard last Sunday morning? Give me every word in it. Tell me everything that was said. And if you were the preacher somewhere last Sunday, tell me everything you said. Good luck. <laughs> we don't remember, do we? We just can't remember all that. They had the same problem. They heard him preach all these sermons. How were they going to remember? John 14, 26. Christ said, But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I've said unto you. Christ said, The Spirit's coming. He'll cause you to remember everything I've ever said. That's amazing. 
But you see, they needed that in order to pass it down to us. Furthermore, he didn't say everything to them when he was here on earth that he wanted to say. In John 16, verse 12 and 13, Christ said, I have yet many things to say unto you, but you cannot bear them now. Howbeit when he, the Spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth. For he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. So the Lord says, look, I, I want to tell you a lot of things. Can you imagine John getting the book of Revelation while Christ was here on earth? John wasn't ready for Revelation. Christ said, I've got many things to say unto you. You can't bear them now. It was hard enough for John to receive what he saw in Revelation in its day, much less to have gotten it when Jesus was here on earth. Because you see, John got that Probably Revelation was written between 69 and 79 A.D. according to chapter 17 during the reign of Vespasian. Christ died around 30 A.D., 69 to 79. It could have been as many as 39 to 49 years. Finally, John got Revelation. Jesus didn't give them everything. You know, they're just, at times, we're not ready for certain things, are we? But later on, we may be. I have yet many things to say unto you, he said, but you cannot bear them now. And he said, the Spirit will come and guide you into all truth. That's Romans through Revelation. Romans through Revelation. Those many other things that he had to say to them. The apostles needed that. They needed to be guided into all the truth where we'd have it. So they needed miraculous inspiration. In, in Acts 1 and verse 8, <clears throat> right before he ascended back to the Father, Jesus told the twelve, But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and into the uttermost part of the earth. They needed power to witness about Christ. They needed miracle working power, and here's why. Because when they went out to preach the Word of God, men like Peter and James and John and Paul and others, they didn't have a written New Testament. And when they entered into a certain town or village, they couldn't say what I'm saying this morning, turn to book so-and-so, chapter so-and-so, verse or verses so-and-so, this wasn't written yet. So they're preaching a message that's not been recorded yet. It's not been written. And so they're going into strange towns they've never been in, and nobody there knows them. And they're telling them about this man named Jesus of Nazareth, who walked the earth and wrought mighty miracles, who went to the cross and bore the sins of humanity in his body and paid the debt for sin and rose the third day? How in the world are people going to believe such a story as that with no written scripture about it like we've got? They didn't have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John to tell them the story of it. So when Peter would go into a, a town, for example, to preach Jesus Christ to them, he would work miracles to establish his credibility as a man of God and that he spoke the word of God. 
There might be a lame man in the midst there and he might say, in the name of Jesus of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And the man would get up and walk. That got people's attention. That this is a man of God who has power from God. Because they knew God wouldn't give such power as that to an imposter. And this man evidently speaks the word of God. And so, you see, the apostles could get the attention of people with these miracles. And confirm their preaching. And the Lord confirmed their work with miracles. In Mark 16 and 20, the Bible says of the apostles, they went forth and preached everywhere. The Lord working with them and confirming the word with signs following. See? In Hebrews chapter 2, we read similar things. Listen. Listen to the purpose of miraculous gifts here. Hebrews 2 verse 1 to 4. Therefore... We ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. For if the word spoken by angels was steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience received a just recompense of reward, how shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation, listen, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed unto us, by them that heard him, God also bearing them witness, both with wonders and signs and divers miracles and gifts of the Holy Ghost, according to his own will. God bore them witness with signs, wonders, mighty miracles, and gifts of the Holy Spirit. That was the purpose, in large part, for these gifts of the Spirit back then. No written word. And no way to confirm that this was God's word and a message from God without these great signs and miracles that accompanied the preaching. It had to be that way. Beloved, listen, without miracle working power, these apostles couldn't have done their work. No way they would have convinced the world that Jesus of Nazareth is the Son of God and rose from the dead and died on the cross, that he's the long-awaited Messiah. They could have never established that without this miracle working ability to confirm their message. Okay? They not only needed a miraculous message given to them, but they needed the ability to demonstrate that it was a message from God. And those gifts of the Spirit did that. But you know, Christ worked miracles, the apostles worked miracles, but they weren't the only ones. Early evangelists and members of the, of the church and localities often had these gifts. Why did they need them? Why did members of the local congregations need miraculous gifts such as Corinth and other places? Why? Well, this gospel, number one, was to be preached all around the world. Jesus said, go into the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He said, go teach all nations. Twelve men would have great difficulty doing this by themselves. And so other men preached, other men assisted them, evangelists and others. And they traveled the world preaching this message. But they had the same problem the apostles did. They didn't have, they didn't have a written New Testament. So how were people going to believe them? Men like Philip were given the ability to confirm their message with miracles. Read with me there in Acts 8 on the back. I believe it will be on the back. Acts 8 
and verse 5 through, through 7. 5 through 8 perhaps. Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ unto them. And the people with one accord, listen to this, the people with one accord gave heed unto those things which Philip spake, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. For unclean spirits crying with loud voice came out of many that were possessed with them. And many taken with palsies and that were lame were healed. And there was great joy in that city. So Philip went to Samaria. Nobody had preached there. The gospel was now going to Samaria for the first time. And when Philip went there, they didn't know Philip. He didn't know them. He preached Christ to them. And they gave heed to what he spake, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. He confirmed that preaching, that message, you see. And so they could believe his message. They believed them because of, of the ability that he had. Notice what he described as some of the miracles as being. This would get your attention and mine. Unclean spirits crying with loud voice came out of many that were possessed with them. <laughs> if you saw a, an assembly where the name of Jesus was invoked and all of a sudden spirits came out of people shrieking, crying with a loud voice, would that get your attention? I think, I think uh, what little hair I've got would stand up. I think that would get my attention. Many taken with palsies, that means they were paralyzed and that were lame, were healed. Hey, folks knew these people. Some of them had been born that way. They'd been that way all their life. <clears throat> the local people knew that. <clears throat> now all of a sudden, Jesus' name is invoked. Paralyzed people get up and walk. Lame people everywhere are walking. Spirits are shrieking as they're coming out in the name of Jesus. And of course the people know now this is a man of God right here. He's got a message from God. And although Philip didn't have the New Testament that I'm holding today, he had the ability back then to confirm the words he spoke by those signs. And, and without it, they would not have believed his message because he would have just simply been saying to them, a man named Jesus of Nazareth was born of a virgin. How were they going to believe that? He bore the sins of humanity on a cross. How would they believe that message? He rose the third day from the dead. What would cause them to believe that? This is just a man coming in and asserting this without the miracles. But with the miracles, they can, of course, understand this indeed is the truth. This happened. These apostles needed that. But you know, not just, uh, not just apostles and evangelists, not just those that preached, but the early Christians needed them in their assemblies. Brethren, you and I have got New Testament scriptures today that we can open up. And we're doing that today and we're studying and reading things that are revealed therein. But the early church, when they assembled like we have here today, they didn't have this book. It was being written, but they didn't quite have it yet. So how in the world are they going to be taught? God would empower 
certain individuals to receive revelations of his word. He would give so-and-so a revelation over here, maybe this guy a revelation, that one a revelation, another one over here. And they would take the floor and speak what the Holy Spirit had delivered to them miraculously. And in that way the church was taught and it was edified until such time as this word could be written down where we would have the completed revelation. We see it at Corinth in 1 Corinthians 14. Read with me at verse 31. <clears throat> Actually, I want to back up to verse 26. Paul said, How is it then, brethren, when you come together, every one of you hath a psalm, hath a doctrine, hath a tongue, hath a revelation, hath an interpretation. Let all things be done unto edifying. If any man speak in an unknown tongue, let it be by two, or at the most by three, and that by course, or in turn, and let one interpret. But if there be no interpreter, let him keep silence in the church, and let him speak to himself and to God. Let the prophets speak two or three, and let the other judge. If anything be revealed unto them that sitteth by, let the first hold his peace. For ye may all prophesy one by one, that all may learn, and all may be comforted. So then someone would take the floor when the Holy Spirit gave them a message, when somebody else wasn't speaking, when they didn't interrupt, so that two would be speaking at the same time, he would take the floor and deliver that which the Spirit had revealed to him, and the church would receive the instruction, and they would get the lesson that was imparted in that. Maybe another brother over here got a part of a revelation too, and he got up and delivered it, and the church got that message. And in this fashion, the church was taught until such time as the Scripture could be fully revealed and written down for us where we wouldn't have to have these things where there would be no need to do it miraculously, but that we could study the full revelation and come to an assembly like this and edify the church with the same word that once was given directly by the Spirit, but is now written right here. We got the same message they did. It's just written down. That's the only difference, because God chose to do it this way now. And that's what I want to talk about in the next study of this. And that's simply this, folks. How, how were these gifts given? How were they given? Next Sunday we'll talk about that, Lord willing. Have they ceased? Do we still have these miraculous gifts today? Are men still getting these revelations, these tongues? Are they still able by miraculous gifts to heal people and to do these great signs and wonders and miracles like the apostles and Philip and evangelists and others did? Or have those ceased? We'll talk about that next week. That's very important as to whether or not we still receive these things. It's not a matter of what God can do. What's God will to do in this matter? That we'll discuss, Lord willing, next Sunday. We'll finish up this study. I want to quit right here at this particular point in the study and as we all, always do in our assemblies, we offer an invitation should someone need Christ. We're certainly not in a hurry today. If you desire to obey in baptism, if you desire prayer for any reason, 
we'll sing the first and last verse of the song selected and ask you to come forward and have a seat and make known your needs. And we'll do our best to help you as we rise and sing the song. Would you come? We hope you enjoyed this teaching from God's Word. If there's anything we can do to help you in your walk with Christ, send us a message at facebook.com slash cfcnwa. To find more sermons, look for us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and like our Facebook page. Thanks for listening, and God bless.